0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Cast Ice, the podcast that explores the great big wild world of tabletop gaming that exists today. It has been said once or twice, mainly on this podcast, that we are in the middle of a gaming renaissance. There are just too many good games out there that we can spend our hobby time and our hobby dollars on. Yeehaw! And I guess that is the purpose of this podcast. It's to... Talk about the games that my guests and I love to play, to talk to the people who make these games, and to talk about big industry events that are happening in the world as we know it in the gaming universe. Now, if you're wondering what is with this accent, it is because we are going to the Wild West today, and my relatives in the Midwest are going to stop talking to me any second now, so I should probably revert. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to the Wild West today on Cast Dice, and we are going to talk about a game that I've been looking at for years, and uh, I've owned twice, and I've never been able to play, and I'm very excited to be talking about today. Made by one uh, one of Cast Dice's favorite companies to talk about, it seems, these days, Great Escape Games, We're talking about Dead Man's Hand, and if we're going to talk about a game and we're going to talk about Great Escape Games, I think think there's only one man we can talk to, and of course, that is our friend, the man, the myth, and the legend, all in one package, our favorite, Pete West. Welcome back to Cast Dice. It's been forever, Pete, since last week.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Howdy, partner. It has been a whole week,
0: hasn't it? Thank you for the howdy, partner. I appreciate that. Um, If if you guys at home are thinking, why aren't they taking this more seriously? I think that's kind of the point of Dead Man's Hand. It's an incredibly fun game. Uh, Pete, you've played this a fair bit. And uh, I I have a fair... I I bought quite a few of the, the rule books recently, or the rule book and some of the expansions. But you've actually played through a number of them, and we're going to get to those in a second. But before we get to anything, Dead Man Hands is a skirmish Western game where each side has about seven models, if I'm understanding this correct. Of course, scenarios vary there as far as model count and table size and terrain and all of that. But, and we're going to talk about the game's narrative focus in a second, but I think the overall arcing... Feeling that I've gotten from this is that this is just a fun game. It's not overly competitive, uh, not to say that it isn't balanced, but it's a little tongue in cheek. It's it's the idea is there for some hilarity, right?
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. It is um, deliberately pitched that way. You, it's a Western movie game rather than a Western historical game, is how I would put it. And um, G, G G Games make, makes that explicit as we'll get into because the game is played in terms of scenes and acts. So it's kind of the conceit like seven TV where you're actually playing in a Western movie rather than trying to recreate historical Westerns.
0: Exactly. Now this game can be played. If you want to play straight down the nose, you have a certain point value and I have a certain point value. And in this game point values are called reputation. Um, and each of the gangs that you can put on the table, or forces, or posse's, or whatever, um, every one of the different model types, just like any other miniature war game, have a point value, and so you can play a balanced game, and you can set up across from one another, and you know, shoot it out at the OK corral, so to speak. But I think one of the fantastic points, and you touched on it there, so let's lean into it, is the narrative focus of this game. And the scenarios, as you say, are broken down into acts of three parts each. Um, And from what I understand, you can usually play all three games within an act in about an hour and a half, two hours. Is that right? If you're up on your rules?
1: Yeah, I think if you're going to get through all three, including the last one, which is the last big game, it's probably in the area of two to three hours, but um, just depending on how quickly the first two games go, which are smaller size. But yeah, in that sort of anywhere an hour and a half to three hours.
0: Yeah. So this game, having read through the rules a couple times and having pushed a few miniatures around on the tabletop in front of me and watched a couple of YouTube uh, games, most notably from Tabletop CP, our, our good buddy Travis has done some fantastic games with great terrain. Um, this game seems, and Pete, you've played it, to really lean into that, that aesthetic that we like on this show, which is easy to pick up, but has some depth to it. They're really, it does force you to make some strategy, or let me say strategic decisions um, that really give the game depth. Would you agree?
1: Yeah, it's a very interesting game. Um, and to quote another podcaster, I think the rules are very elegant. Um, they're simple, but... As you say, they make you think, and there's some resource management, there's some tactical play. It's a really good game. I mean, just it's one of the few games that I keep coming back to again and again. Um, I can be a bit of a uh, bower bird when it comes to games, trying picking up lots of different things and trying them briefly, but I've been playing um, Dead Man's Hand. Uh, pretty much since it was first came out and i keep coming back to it every couple of months and playing another game and i always find it to be a lot of fun
0: brilliant that is yeah that is high praise coming from you um, because you and i both both love a new game don't we <laughs> to a fault. <laughs> exactly. Um, well, let's talk a little bit about the game setting yourself. As you say, it is a game that allows you to play out a, a Western movie. Um, and we all have seen the Western movies where, you know, the good guys and the bad guys face off uh, down the the main street in town. And the, the clock tower is going and then there's the shootout. Now, you, you can have those moments where it's one-on-one, depending on the scenario. You can have uh, the moment where you know there's the sheriff and maybe one deputy fighting off a bunch of hooligans. Uh, again, it depends on the scenario. But pretty much every major Western I've seen, if you look at the scenarios laid out in these books, you really can play through most of them, um, which is tons of fun. But let's talk, I guess, a little bit about the factions so people can understand exactly how this works. Um, of course, in the main rule book you get the law, you get desperados, you get cowboys, and the last one's escaping me. Pete, can you help me out?
1: I can. It's um, outlaws.
0: Oh, of course. I, was, I always, in my head, combined outlaws and desperados, but they have very different rules don't they uh, yep but then we also have um there's a gang to, to if you want to play them the magnificent seven um there are bush rangers uh if in the australian expansion we'll talk about that in a second um oh, pete help me out there's a ton of different factions in this yeah. game
1: so you listed the the factions in the dead man's hand rule book and mm-hmm. then there's and then
0: i expand it out um, yeah
1: there's two expansions the legend of dead man's hand um, and that gives you several more gangs um, including the banditos mm-hmm. the renegade indians the pinkertons the Cat the cap the cavalry mm-hmm. and that's it for that book and then as i say you go On to the next expansion which is Dead Man's Hand Down Under Mm -hmm. Um, and for the Australians that's where you get Ned Kelly Um, and a couple of other gangs including Bush Rangers State and State Police so there's a good choice of gangs and I haven't even got into the um, the weird Western version of Mm -hmm. Dead Man's Hand which gives you um, a whole bunch of other sort of supernatural gangs, um, which you're probably better place to talk about since you actually have that book. I haven't gone down the uh, mystical super, supernatural route just yet.
0: But there are a couple of um, bonus gangs in there, like the Magnificent Seven, which are not supernatural, which are just... Uh, additional, which, you know, if you want to take, if you want to have Yul Brenner on the tabletop, bam, you can go. You can do that. Or Denzel Washington, depending on which version of the, uh, or Chris Pratt, depending on which version of The Magnificent Seven you want to field. Um, (laughs) But then there's a couple of gangs that appear in other places. Um, I think Mountain Men shows up in Curse of the Dead Man's Hand, which is just, again, um, it's not supernatural. It's just Mountain Men. Um, You know, guys in fur pelts and whatnot. But then I also have rules for the Tong, um, you know, Chinese rail workers slash, uh, you know, underground uh, crime figures.
1: Yeah.
0: Because I have all of those wonderful pulp Chinese models that work perfectly for that. And so, you know, I can use them for both my uh, World War II militia or my... Uh, Tong in this uh, because of the way that the models are dressed. Not all the models, but a few, um, which means that I'm ready to go on this as we go. But it really, there's a lot of scope to this. Plus, there's uh, a few special characters that they've released over time that you can add. Uh, And the thing that really grabbed me and hooked me back to this game is a couple of those special characters that they do. And again, this is a Western movie game Um, if you're looking for a hardcore uh, historical Western game, this may not be the game. Uh, I was overjoyed as a giant fan of the Westworld TV series. that They released a Dolores model and Tandy Newton's character. Um, So there are, those two um, came out as independent character blisters that I was able to pick up, and you can add them uh, to different scenarios, and you can either run them as, you know, people, normal people in a Western as if like they are part of, you're in the Westworld park and they just happen to be either innocent bystanders or part of your crew or whatever else, depending on the scenario. Or if you want to have them as sort of waking up as sentient beings um, and realizing that the game, there's a game within the game, they have special rules on top of that, which is genius, so good. Um, But you have Doc Brown and the DeLorean. I
1: do, yes.
0: (laughs) Tell us about that because that's awesome.
1: Yeah, so when we get to campaigns, we'll talk about the fact that um, they have what are characters that you've been mentioning or what they actually call the Rogues Gallery, which are people you can add into your gang. And they have a whole bunch of these. And you've mentioned a couple, but I've got um, Doc and the DeLorean. Um, But, you know, pretty much any sort of Western recent Western character you can think about is probably going to be there in the Rogues Gallery as a sort of standalone add-in to your gang.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, and they're
1: quite good. I mean, even Doc and the DeLorean—they're not super OP or um, anything. They've they're well balanced in the game. Even Doc and his DeLorean. The DeLoreans are actually a bit of scenery, but Doc has some interesting rules, which we'll get into how these things work. But they sort of align with the character as you'd expect so his two special rules are foresight so which lets him do some funny things and inventor so it's true to what you'd expect of his character but also fits within the gang as well
0: that's cool well as you alluded to let's let's get into how the game works because we can talk about all the fun fluffy reasons why we love this game but Um, Let's talk brass tacks. Now, if you're playing this game, you're usually playing it on, if I understand this right, a three-by-three table. Uh, Again, it depends on the scenario. And you usually have a gang, again, depending on scenario, of about seven models. Um, Your gang will have a leader, and then there'll be like a henchman um, who's usually um, possibly even a better fighter than your leader, uh, depending on which gang you have. Uh, And then there'll be sort of generic uh guys dudes who um you know if you were to think necromunda would be your gangers um just general warrior types and then usually there's an entry for some low level concerned citizens if you're playing the law for example um or scum if you're playing someone else which would be sort of like your juves if you're familiar with the necromunda model would you agree with that pete
1: Yeah, absolutely. So you've got that sort of four tier structure for pretty much all the gangs. And just to give you a flavour. So for the outlaws, your four tiers are your boss, your second tier is your gunslinger, your third tier is your dudes, and the fourth tier is varmints. So um, for the law, it's sheriff, marshal, deputies, and then upstanding citizens. So You've got those four tiers, and each gang um, has certain rules about how many you can pick from each tier and what they can Mm -hmm. be armed with, depending on what faction you're choosing.
0: Right, and what I like about this game is there's, you know, it doesn't take itself too seriously with all the point values of individual weapons on top of the models. The models have a a specific point value, Um, and you might say, well, how does that balance? Well, if you want a law gang, for example, um, there are— if you Go to your general gangers, um, or in this case, your deputies, up to two of them can have shotguns. Um, otherwise, they're armed with a pistol, a rifle, or a repeater. So, it, depending on what your models are actually carrying, there is some scope for you to uh, change around the weapon loadout in this, but the really powerful weapons are balanced. Yep.
1: They, uh, I mean, the shotgun, which we'll talk about, is pretty damn good. Um, So most gangs have some sort of limit on how many shotguns you can take, but also um, there's some limit to some rifles and that sort of thing.
0: Well, Pete, as we've talked about on this podcast quite a lot, one of the things that often uh, separates games from one another and really differentiates them is how models activate. I mean, there's the great big debate of you go, I go versus you go, I go within the turn versus, you know, dice order mechanics uh, where you pull things out at random. And just like a lot of other games, this game has its own activation sequence. Now, if you listen to our Rain and Hell episode, um, the mechanics here might sound vaguely familiar, um, but I, I really do like how this works. And I know that this will lead into some of the other cool cool, and core mechanics of the game, but Pete, can you talk to us about how your deck of cards work? Now, that's interesting because this is a dice game. Um, it isn't Malifaux. We're using cards, but cards are a part of this, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think the cards are what I think is a really elegant part of this game because... The cards aren't used to do just one thing they're actually used to do several things in the game um, so you get a deck of cards with the rules um now you can the what all the cards are is actually in the rule book so you don't actually have to use the specific deck that you get from geg but it's nice because everything's printed on those cards and they're a smaller size so they're a bit easier to handle. But the cards really perform three functions in um, the game. So one, they manage initiative. Two, they are special actions rules. And three, they're a a resource in your hand. Mm -hmm. Um, So the first thing you use the cards for is determine um, initiative in the game. So as you've already said, Brad, you set up the game. You've got a a scene um, from... Uh, one of the scenarios that you're going to play through. Mm -hmm. It'll tell you where your figures are starting. And then the Determine Initiative on any turn, you um, draw the top card from your deck and you look at that card and you put it down next to one of your figures. So you actually know what that card's going to be. That's right. So you put it down next to one of your figures And the way activation works in this game is obviously the highest card goes first. Mm -hmm. So you look at your card, and if it's a high card and you want to activate something sooner rather than later, you put it next to that. If it's a low card, you put it to the guy in the back who's not going to face any threats for a while. Mm -hmm. So after you've done that, though, you then, without looking at any more cards, from the deck just deal cards out to all your remaining models face Mm -hmm. down so you don't know what they are so
0: So it gives you a little bit of choice um depending on whether it's high or low about you know well i might want this guy to go first so i'm going to try and give him a higher card not knowing what the next uh, card might be so you get a little of that uh, uncertainty that you get with bolt action but uh you do get a little say in it right
1: yeah. And it's, um, it's a, yeah, you're right. It's that combination of you got a little bit of control, but also there's a fair bit of randomness there as well. Although as we'll talk about, there are some other ways of controlling that randomness right. as well. Cause the second use of the cards is on all of the cards, there's a special rule printed. So before you start the game you draw a hand of cards and that'll be dictated by the scenario it's usually five for the larger scenarios and each one of those cards as I say it's got a special rule which allows you to do something printed on it now ten of those cards so you common cards so two through ten the rules are the same for everybody the special rules um, are available to everyone Um, but each gang gets four, the four um, uh, Jack, King, Queen, Ace.
0: Mm-hmm. The face cards.
1: Uh, face cards, thank you. Um, that's the word I was reaching for. <laughs> yep. Um, have the, the face cards are specific to each gang and have special rules that are specific to that gang. Nice. So some of those cards allow you to do funky things like change either where you're initiative cards have been placed or some even allow you to change where your opponent's initiative cards have been placed. So there are ways of messing with the initiative order before the game starts, but most of those card rules are used for in-game effects, um, which we can talk about when we start talking about how you actually do things like moving and shooting.
0: Yeah. And when we talk about moving and shooting, this game is interesting in that it is supposed to be played in centimeters, which is something you don't usually see. Uh, in a lot of war games these days, Uh, but if you are a giant fan of the inch, there are inches as well. Um, But it all sort of comes down to a a 10-centimeter slash 4-inch range ruler that is used to determine everything. Now, when a model activates, um, when it's their turn in the initiative order, they can do one of three, or sorry, they can do three actions, now that action could be move, it could be aim, it could be shoot, it could be reload or change weapon, or it could be recover. And we'll talk about recover in a second because again, there's a, it's almost a another almost bolt action like uh, mechanic. But every time a model moves, it can move one of those little range rulers, which is ten centimeters or four inches. So you can move a model three times, and it can move up to twelve inches. What's interesting is you have to m- declare what your model's doing, all three of those activations, before you actually do any of them. So if you're running to get behind cover, you have to eyeball it because there isn't pre-measuring. You need to say, ooh, I think I need to move twice to get there. Or uh, maybe I should be safe and run three times because you know if you're eyeballing it, it could be um, 10 inches away. And you're like, oh, do 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 I need to go ten? You know, do I need to go that far? Is that ten inches or is that eight inches? With me, I would be, you know, biting my nails as I tried to make that decision. But uh, don't think that you can fire three times. Just stand there and empty your guns at people three times every turn, because each weapon only allows you to fire a certain number of shots. Um, you know, shotguns can't fire as many times as pistols, for example um rifles can only fire once whereas pistols can fire up to three times pete am i explaining this right
1: yep no you got it right and it's a really important thing to note that you do have to declare all of your actions before you essentially touch your model because that's going to be important um because one of the mechanics of this game is interruption so you're gonna say i'm gonna move move shoot or i'm gonna and you actually have to say who you're going to shoot at you can't just say i'm going to move move shoot i'm going to move move shoot at your boss over there or you say i'm going to aim shoot at x character over there so it's um can be a little bit hard to get used to especially when you know as a bolt action player Mm -hmm. when it's just uh, i'll just see how it goes um but no it's important in this game that you um, figure out exactly what you're going to do and then you have to verbalize that um, very specifically
0: yeah, and, I, and I've watched in a couple of videos where people have been like, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run to the window in this church, and I'm going to shoot the guy with the shotgun right outside the window, for example, and I'm going to fire twice. And because it's point-blank point range with the pistol, um, they get a bonus, and they do really well with the roll and end up knocking out the guy in the first shot. Well, then the second shot isn't necessarily wasted. He just shoots the, the guy on the ground because um, he declared that that's what he was going to do. Um, obviously, you wouldn't roll that because he's out of the game, but, you know, you get the idea. And it, 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 it cinematically makes sense um, that, you know, people are just blasting it, folks. Uh, and, you know, that's how it works. Now, that range ruler is also used to determine weapon ranges. Um, oftentimes, weapons have particular to hit bonuses or negatives, uh, depending on how far someone has uh, or someone is from the shooter. Uh, And so, again, you measure using that same 10-centimeter-slash-4-inch little range ruler um, just to see how many times or to see what range band, so to speak, a weapon is. Um, And each weapon, of course, has its uh, different—have a different uh, bonus or negative. Pistols, for example, get a bonus at point-blank range, which is within 4 inches um, or 10 centimeters, for example— other weapons, though, if you are um, at a at a straight or at a long range, it's a minus one to hit. And as I said before, aiming gives you a plus one to hit. But if you fire more than one time in a turn, each subsequent shot there's a negative um, that stacks. And so if you're just blasting at people, the more you blast, the less accurate you get, which is one again makes sense. Um, am I explaining this right, Pete?
1: Yeah. I think it's worth mentioning that shooting, and in fact, a lot of the actions are based on D20 rolls. So when you're saying plus or minus one, that's actually um, can be make quite a difference, um, particularly as I think it's only 19 or 20 that you actually have a chance of killing someone or you actually do kill someone. Correct. So if you're getting a minus one, um, on a D20 roll, it's really hard to get to the point where you're likely to be able to kill someone. And I think that helps balance this sort of frantic, close-range combat quite nicely because, as you sort of alluded to, you say you've got a pistol, you can actually just stand there and shoot three times if you want. But every additional shot, you're taking a minus one. And that, as I say, may not sound like a huge amount, but when you're trying to reach a 19 or a 20 on D20, um it can get pretty tough and that's also why um you're always looking to get those bonuses so to throw on an aim to get that plus one or to get in really close to get that plus one or to minimize your move because every time you move you're taking both minus one on your shooting although the the flip side and the good news for you is your opponent also takes a minus one for shooting at you
0: exactly well, let's talk about what happens when you don't automatically die, because otherwise this game would never end, right? Um, when we'll talk about uh, under fire markers in a sec. But in addition to the, the shooting modifiers that we're talking about just then, uh, moving can be a negative modifier both to hit and if you're shooting at someone. It makes sense. Someone's running. They're harder to hit. Or if you're running and you're trying to shoot at the same time, guess what? You're not going to be as accurate as if you're standing and aiming, right? So if you move two of the little range rulers, uh, you uh, get a minus one to hit, but you're a minus one to hit back. Um, And so that really, all of these little modifiers stack up, and there's one more, I mean, there is cover as well, which gives you another minus one. But I think the big one in this game that you bolt action fans out there will be familiar with is, this game has a Uh, a pin mechanic, Um, and though it isn't the same as bolt action, um, it's called under fire markers, and every time that you take one, uh, it is harder for you to hit. Um, Now, we did talk about the recover uh, activation earlier when I was listing out the different activations you can take, and if you take a recover one, you can actually start to get rid of those. But it it does make sense that, you know, if you you get shot at a lot... You're more likely uh, to go out of the game, and Pete, I'll I'll leave you to explain how that works. But um, it also, if you're sort of shaken uh, and or you know hiding behind a, uh, a some sort of trough that horses drink out of, I was trying to think of the term there, uh, you're not going to be great at shooting someone from across the way on a rooftop. Um, am I explaining the under fire mechanics all right?
1: Yeah, it, it is very similar to the bolt action pinning mechanic in fact it's probably the main way you're going to knock people out of this game yeah. as i was saying earlier it's pretty hard to shoot somebody i mean you do get lucky streaks sometime and um my opponent found out this last time we played i think i rolled um 320s um in a row <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, yes uh, <laughs> and he hasn't been keen to play it recently so maybe that had something to do with it but uh, mm. <laughs> basically you can blast away at each other for quite a long time and your chances of getting a kill are actually quite low so the main way you're trying to really knock people out is often through these under fire markers so if a basic uh, ganger collects four under fire markers they're basically killed or knocked out of the game Mm. Um, and a boss if they click five under fire markers Um, so this gets into your action management Um, a lot of time once the game's been going for a bit you're probably going to be looking to use that recover action to take off um, one at least one under fire marker Mm -hmm. before you do anything else so three actions may sound like a lot but when four under fire markers will knock you out through most of the game, you're almost certainly expending one under fire marker to uh, uh, one action to recover an under fire marker before you do anything else. So it's part of the balancing mechanic this game. So the odds of you being able to stand there and just shoot three times are are pretty low in any, any
0: given turn. That's right. And if we look at the shooting result chart that you alluded to earlier, where 19 and 20 means that someone's knocked out of action and they're out of the game, if you roll a natural one, it's a miss, but your gun runs out of ammunition and you have to spend an activation to reload, which is where the reload action comes in, or to switch weapons if someone has multiple guns. On a two through 10, you just miss. Uh, On an 11 through 14, the target takes an under fire token, which again adds up. And once you get to a certain number, as Pete said, um, someone's taken out of action. Or... On a 15 through 18, um, you get the under fire token that you got with earlier that we just talked about. Or, or sorry, And you have to take a nerve test. Now, each um, model type has a nerve value that you need to roll over to pass that test. But for each under fire token, that gets harder. So, in there, it's a little bit like your morale check or your pin check in bolt action where you're like, ooh, what's going to happen here? And if you fail that roll, they go out of action. So, again, it's another way that people can get knocked out of the game.
1: Well, sorry, (laughs) not quite. Um Oh, sorry, not
0: knocked out of the game. They take another under fire token, right?
1: That's correct. And okay, if you if you that under-fire marker brings you up to four, yeah, you're obviously knocked out of the game. So for bolt action players, I'm sure they were, everyone's sort of thinking like you. As soon as you fail a morale test, you run off. But um, you've got a couple of chances, uh, depending on how healthy your guy is, to survive a morale test um, in Dead Man's End.
0: Nice. Yeah, I was watching a couple games where when someone rolled that and failed the test, that they actually went out, but that's because they took one more under fire token. And then that meant that the model was removed. And in my brain, that automatically meant just like we're used to in bolt action. Oh yeah. They're out of the game. No, there's another <laughs> yep. step there. Um, Pete, you clearly love this game. Um, now we've talked to some of the reasons about how and why you loved, you know, why you like this game. What are some of your favorite things? What makes this game something that you would recommend for someone, uh, Besides a relatively low money cost to get in and a very low model count to paint, um, says the guy who now owns several gangs, even though I haven't played the game yet. Go ahead.
1: (laughs) I mean, it is really what we've been talking about, that cinematic quality. And it's, I guess, a little hard to explain until you've actually played it. But it really does feel like a Western movie. and. Mm it's one of those things which is hard to explain is the way that the sort of special rules on the cards work. So, you know, you may have your gang all set up to do this perfect, um, uh, kill on the enemy's boss, but your guy steps out and suddenly your opponent throws down a card, which says stumble. So mm-hmm. your guy who was going to run in and kill the boss with his double barreled shotgun suddenly falls flat on his face as he trips going around the corner and does nothing that turn. Um, And, you know, the special rules on the cards have these effects. The gangs each have at least two special rules, so they all have a very different flavour, and those flavours are all what you would expect if you have grown up watching John Wayne movies Mm -hmm. or Clint Eastwood movies, uh, like some of us may have. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it is really that small number, but really cinematic. It, It moves really quickly. And one thing we haven't talked about which is i think just the icing on the cake so you have these cards which have special effects um, but the third way you can use them which i haven't mentioned yet is you can actually burn them as a resource so right. if someone uses a card with a special rule so say my shotgun guy is going to come around the corner and blast you in the face you play your stumble card which means he trips over and doesn't do anything that term but you think but What you can do, if you have in your hand a card of a matching number to the card that your opponent plays, you can actually trump that card. So if you burn your, so say, I can't remember which common the stumble is, I think it's a five, but if he plays his five card, if you have a five in your hand, you can trump his card. And um, therefore his card doesn't go off. You get to run in and blast
0: the guy in the face. Oh, that's cool. I didn't realize that.
1: And what's even more cool is if he happens to have a second five in his hand, he can throw that down as well. So you can keep jumping each other as long as you've still got cards in your hand. Awesome. Um, And it is a resource management because the interesting thing is you can only pick up one card per turn. Mm -hmm. So if you burn three cards in your turn at the beginning of the next turn, you only still pick up one card. So you've got to be careful about how you burn these cards because they can be really critical at the right time to either, um, basically get you into the right spot or prevent your enemy from um, getting in the right spot. Um, and the other way you can burn cards is if you have your initiative card down on the table, you can basically take what is, I guess you'd commonly call in wargaming an overwatch action. Well, mm-hmm. you can either do a quick shot or a duck back by burning your initiative card for that turn. So a quick shot is basically you get to take one action and burn your card and it's just a quick shot which has some sort of um, negatives on it because it is a quick shot mm-hmm. or you can attempt to duck back into cover by burning your card. So once again, you're only taking one action instead of three for that turn, but it obviously gives you, you know, allows you to influence the game um, while, while it's not your turn. So yeah, it,
0: it really helps you to save your bacon. If someone, as you say, is running around the corner with a shotgun and you can be like, Oh, I'm going to turn around and run around the other corner of the barn come at me or in this case don't you can't see me yeah
1: so it's it's those little things which give it that real cinematic quality like i've been in so many situations where i run in and go aha and i'm about to blast someone with a, a shotgun or my double six shooters or whatever and, and a card gets thrown down and something bad happens to me and my whole plan unravels i <laughs> mean it's mm-hmm. uh, it's really what makes this game fun. It is not something that is sort of pre-programmed or predictable. Uh, and on top of the fact that you don't know what your initiative is going to be at the start of the turn. So you've got to sort of generally play the hand you're dealt, to use a use, use a bit of a, um, a poker phrase there. But it, all these things combine just to make it very fun, very cinematic, which is why I keep coming back to it.
0: Exactly. Now, a couple of things. I have a couple of talking points here um, that now that we've kind of talked through the game's basic mechanics. um, Yes, we've mentioned you do need a D20, but unlike a lot of war games, I was a little concerned when I first picked this game up years ago. It's like, oh, a D20. I haven't had one of those since I was a role player as a kid. Like, I don't even know where, like, sure, game stores have them. How many do you need? One or two and you really don't need many. Um, if you have picked up Stargrave recently and you picked up a few D20s to play that, you have enough D20s. Um, you really It doesn't really involve you going deep on um, buying a bucket of dice uh, like you would need for six-sided for some games. Um, now, Pete, you also need a 10-sided, right? So you need um, a 20-sided and a 10-sided to play this game.
1: Yeah. yeah. Look, technically, you only need one of each. Your 20-sided is for combat, and your 10-sided dices for your morale tests. Exactly.
0: Cool. And something else that is pretty remarkable now about this game that is unlike just about any other war game that exists. Now, I am Australian. I'm a dual citizen. I uh, was born in the U.S., obviously, as the accent gives it away. Um, And I grew up in Japan, as I've talked about a million times. So for me, it's a little weird because I'm used to coming from places that war games are sort of centered around. Um, But Pete, you as a, uh, as, as we say down here, a dinky dyed Aussie uh, born and raised, how does it feel to have a war game, which there is a whole expansion about being Australian? It's pretty cool, right?
1: Yeah, it's very cool. I mean, it, like, Um, Americans, kids who are, I guess, raised on Westerns, Australian kids, certainly in my generation, were um, more focused on the Bushranger legends and the Bushranger stories. Um, Wild West was sort of peripheral here in Australia. So I guess a lot of Americans may not have heard of the Bushrangers, but they (laughs) they were basically the highwaymen, roughly equivalent period to the old west although mm-hmm. sort of slightly earlier um but this was when australia was being settled and basically people who just rode rode around the um bush in gangs um they were criminal gangs but like uh like many of the old west banditos and mm-hmm. the highwaymen in, in um, the uk we tend to uh romanticize them mm-hmm. and think of them in a robin hood kind of light yeah um, but they sort of reached the height of legend in a gang called the Ned Kelly Gang. That's right. And um, um, don't know how many Americans would have heard of the Ned Kelly Gang, but it's they're... it's.
0: Let me give you the elevator speech, dear American listeners. It is imagine Jesse James, where at the at the end of Jesse James's run with his gang, they made armored suits out of hammered um, plowshares. Uh, and they, so they looked almost like a primitive Iron Man, uh, and there were several of them dressed like this, and they um, stormed a bank, had a shootout with lots of police officers uh, dressed like that, and then um, escaped, uh, and then there was a great big showdown where the police surrounded the, the house where they were hiding out in the middle of the bush, and there was this legendary shootout where um, they wore the armor, and they went out confronted... Um, the police officers and bullets were just pinging off of them uh, yes they did go down yes they were caught and or killed but um it, it is the thing of Australian legend am I getting that right Pete
1: yeah pretty close <laughs> close enough that uh, it doesn't really the details don't really matter but the key thing is they they uh, made themselves legends in these suits of armor and they had this massive shootout at a town Um, called Glen Rowan, which was a little more than an actual sort of pub. Um, And for those interested and want to have a look on YouTube, there's a Heath Ledger movie Mm -hmm. um, about Ned Kelly. I I won't vouch for the quality of the entire movie, but the Glen Rowan shootout scene uh, is certainly worth uh, a Google. It Uh, is. It's a lot of fun. And so all of the gang except Ned Kelly was killed in that shootout and Ned Kelly was later hung um but yes the it's pretty spectacular these guys walking slowly in these massive suits of armor uh, against what um was kind of a butch cassidy in the sundance kid sort of scene they Mm -hmm. were surrounded by what were called the state police and were getting shot left left and right but slowly advancing in these huge suits of armor so it's uh, a real big piece of Australian, uh, historical legend and probably our sort of wild west equivalent.
0: And if you go to Glen Rowan now there is a museum, um, I definitely do not vouch for the quality of that. Um, there's like talking animatronic animals and it's, it's really <laughs> not great. However, if you go to the state library in the center of Melbourne, um, there they have, uh, Ned Kelly's armor, the actual armor, uh, most of it anyway. There is a piece at the old Melbourne jail, which is two blocks away from there, and his death mask. So um, there is a lot of Ned Kelly paraphernalia. You see the the stickers and the T-shirts around. Um, yeah, I- he's a legend. But, again, to be able to play out... Uh, Australiana on the tabletop is unheard of and so for that it it, this game is pretty cool Uh, the fact that one of its four expansions is entirely based on that era is pretty special.
1: Yeah, it's the only game I've ever seen it, and it's probably a indication of how much Australia Australians spend with GEG Gaming, but probably best not to go down that rabbit hole. Well,
0: that actually brings me brilliantly to my last talking point, which is uh, why now? Now, as I said, I've had this game for years on and off. I had it. I gave it away. Uh, I had it. I gave it away. I have it again. Um, and now I have um, some cool gang models. Yes, I got excited about the Westworld models, but I only found out about that recently, and that had n- those have actually been out for a couple years now. The thing that seems there's there's a little bit of a resurgence happening with this game, and by a little bit, I mean a lot. If you look at social media, there's a lot of people picking this up all of a sudden, and it's because Great Escape Games has come out with a box of plastic cowboys. Um, up until now, you've had in order to play this game, you had to buy metal models. And um, look, I love metal models. I prefer metal models. Um, I think the detail is better on them for my painting style. Again, I know it's not for everyone. But this new plastic set, I did pick that up when I repicked up the rules, is fantastic. Um, it's two sprues of five cowboys with lots of different interchangeable parts. But it really does allow you to make a large number of gangs from this game. Now, there, there are other companies that make great models as well and oh god i want the blazing saddle models from knuckle duster but <clears throat> we'll, we'll go down that path later um the new plastic cowboy models from great escape games are great pete have you seen these in person I have not seen them
1: in person, but I have been salivating over them on um, the interwebs, and mm-hmm. you're right, they do look great, and 10 figures is enough to make any gang you could yeah. possibly want um, with a couple of vari- variable figures with different loadouts depending mm-hmm. on what you want to do. So it is a simple and elegant way of just jumping into this game very very easily.
0: Yeah, because you, once you have the basic – because I ordered the basic rules in that cowboy box, and uh, the basic game came with the rule book, and it also came with uh, a set of cards uh, and the cards you need to play the gangs in the rule book, and it came with a, uh, a, a template of um, – a, a a sheet, I should say, of that you punch out the tokens and the range ruler. And it is nice, durable material. So it, it looks like it should hold up to gaming. Um, and yeah, it, it, that was all, everything that came. So all you need is the basic game, which is basically just the rule book. And um, that box. And, you know, Bob's your uncle, so to speak. Yeah. I guess I'm full of Australianisms today. And you're all set. Um, it's really cool, and I think the one other thing that's worth talking about in this game is the aesthetic. I mean, we love a good Western movie, Pete and I, um, but my wife is not a fan of Westerns per se. In fact, getting her to watch Tombstone about a year ago took an act of God, and she is definitely not a fan of gaming. Um, <clears throat> she thinks I'm obsessed, and I spent too much time doing it, and she doesn't want to support that. But yesterday, I was doing research for this, watching a YouTube video and taking notes, and she walked in, and she saw on the screen of the computer that I was watching, there was um, an old West Town setup with some models. And she went, oh, that looks great. Hey, you should do that. <laughs> I, I, I will be cashing in on that <laughs> when I buy some uh, foreground West, Old West buildings. <clears throat> but... It, I mean, it does look great. Again, you don't need tons of terrain for this game because it is a, um, a smaller board size. Now, if you're playing in the center of town, yes, that could add up a little quickly. Uh, foreground buildings are gorgeous. But... They are a little expensive at times. But Sarissa makes um, some wonderful Old West buildings. TT Combat makes some very nice, uh, cheaper alternatives. Sure, the detail isn't there, and you have to paint them. But, yeah, there's a lot of opportunities. But, yeah, I I may have also bought a a, a blister of uh, cacti cacti when I bought my rules. So, Yeah. um, yeah, I'm excited about this. I think it'll look great on the tabletop, at least all the videos that I've seen. Uh, have been fantastic. Uh, Pete, do you want to add anything about that? No,
1: I absolutely agree. I think once you've been playing it for a while, I mean, the place to start is the Old West Town, the classic, um, you can't go wrong. And there's a lot of MDF companies that make the Old West Towns, and you've mentioned some of my favourites. But I think once you've been playing it for a while, there's an opportunity to think about different scenes. I mean, if you look at old... Um, movies I mean the town is certainly one scene but a lot of it's just out on the prairies
0: Mm -hmm. in canyons
1: um, at ranches um, Mexican pueblos Mm -hmm. so there's plenty of opportunities beyond just the western town um, to give a really um, interesting looking game board although one thing I would say is I think this game benefits from having a good amount of scatter terrain um, Mm -hmm. to duck behind, give you that little bit of cover. Um, As I say, 19 or 20 will pretty much kill outright. So uh, a bit of cover on the board to just uh, stop some of that swinginess, I guess, to make it a bit harder to just do an outright kill. I think is generally a good thing because you're talking about pretty small gangs. So, it can be a bit uh, unfun if when one of your guys if they get killed early on, even if it is just to a lucky roll. Um, that's not to say the game would be unbalanced. I've had one guy take out three others. <laughs> um, but uh, I think you, your game will generally benefit from if you've got some scattered terrain, so like horse posts, troughs, as you already mentioned, mm-hmm. a, a stack of boxes, a cart here or there, even just a bunch of rocks. I I quite like playing um, a sort of uh, canyon scene where I've got a bunch of um, Gale Force Nine rock formations yes. that are just spread
0: out. I, I think was, it
1: works quite well.
0: I was literally about to say those rock formations from Gale Force Nine are perfect for what you're describing, and then you said it. But they also have sort of miniature mesas that you can um, that match those perfectly. That pre-painted terrain. So if you can find them, um, and I know they're out there uh, around the place, they those work. Perfectly for this game, and thankfully, <clears throat> I might have a few. So, I think all I need <laughs> is a few huts with my mesas and my rocks, and I think I'm all set. Uh, throw a few cacti in, and uh, maybe some a few boc- uh, you know crates or barrels, and uh, yeah, I think I'm ready for the Old West. Uh, that said, there are some great Old West church models uh, and graveyards, and oh, there's just so many. Having spent a lot of time in the Midwest, uh, in never-ending rolling fields of corn and soybeans, uh, I definitely, I kind of want to maybe get some cows uh, and uh, maybe have a pasture and maybe have some, uh, you know, some fences with some animals on the inside. I don't know. The inner farmer in me is calling out. I, I have to figure out that, but. That's my own personal issue. Uh, Pete, before we wrap it up, is there anything else that you want to say about this game? Because if I'm hearing this right, it sounds like this is one that you would recommend for our listeners.
1: Oh, absolutely. It's it's a complete blast. As I say, I keep coming back to, back to it. It's a game I've played most after Bolt Action. And wow. I think one thing worth mentioning is that there is a campaign system in the second book. Um, and... So you can just play out um, the three scenes of an act and that's a good three hour game. But if you want to actually run a campaign over a period of time in the second book, the legend of dead man's hand, there's actually a campaign system that's um, elegantly simple. I've misused the word elegant a number of
0: times today, (laughs) but it's,
1: it's quite simple to do, but allows you to keep a campaign going over a couple of weeks. And it's, um, very flexible and allows you to, to create a lot of the backstory um, yourself while giving you the framework to play through the game so it's not just uh if you get a bit sick of just throwing a couple of guys down and shooting it out and you want to do um something more like a movie where you've got the evil mining magnate trying to take over all the farmers land or something like that uh you there's a great campaign system to do that brilliant
0: brilliant right on well <sighs> Pete, oh, oh, and the game, sorry, the book that that system that Pete's describing is called The Legends of Dead Man Hand. I I think I just butchered that, but yes, The Legends of Dead Man's Hand. Yes, that's it. Pete, thank you again for coming on. Um, Man, it seems that we're having you on a lot recently, and every time you come on, I think, God, I should have Pete on more. So, uh, you know, short of you coming on permanently, uh, thank you again for making the time, man, because it's always a pleasure.
1: It's always great fun to talk to you about games, Brad, and um, I hope people pick this one up because it is, as I say, after Bolt Action, the game I'm most passionate about. And for such a small investment, um, I can't believe there isn't any gamer out there who won't find something to
0: enjoy in this game. Yeah, exactly right. Can't wait till uh, our newest lockdown ends so I can uh, get a game because I've recently found a couple of people who locally have uh, gangs all painted up and have the terrain, and, oh, I'm keen. I'm keen. Mark, I'm coming for you. But, guys, thank you so much at home for listening. We really do appreciate you taking the time to listen to Cast Dice. Uh, I do want to say something quick, especially since Pete's here. Um, Guys, thank you. We've had so many people reach out about the last episode of – where to find miniatures for bolt action for major nations. Thank you so much for listening to that episode. We're glad you enjoyed it. Um, for the few of you who've said that you've run out and bought stuff and we're bad people for that, sorry. Um, <clears throat> as I've said before, I may be Cast Dice's biggest victim. Pete might be the second. Um, maybe. But, uh, guys, thank you again for listening. Uh, I did have two people message saying what the hey why didn't we go into more depth on the French Foreign Legion yes they got a mention yes we will cover them the reason we didn't go into the miniatures uh, one of the reasons anyway and the one that I think is most pertinent if you're listening and are interested is that I am planning to do a French Foreign Legion entire episode shortly and as part of that I will be talking about where you can find the models to play French Foreign Legion on the bolt-action tabletop. So fear not. It is in the pipe. Although, given COVID and everything else, you know, give us a little bit of patience. But I do want to do that soon. Um, I guess it's time. Ladies and gentlemen, as our good buddy Casey always says, if you are playing the games or when you are playing the games that we know and love, I hope your dice roll hot. I hope your beverages are cold. But more than that, we at CastEyes hope that you are having fun. Stay safe out there, guys. Good night.